Welcome. Here at The Bridge Church, we exist to help you connect to God, grow with family, and serve our city. We hope today's message will allow you to grow deeper in your connection to God. Enjoy the message. Greetings, family. Welcome to The Bridge Church. My name is Rich Bowman. Um, I'm not James Roberson, okay? Uh, James Roberson is actually our lead pastor. He's on a study break for this month. So, like a good bench player, and I'm kidding. Um, I'm subbing in. No, no, no. Uh, So today, you know, I really want to give you guys a word. It's a slight departure from um, what we've been doing in the series. Um, But I wanted to talk to you guys today about this idea of mission, mission. What does it mean to be missional? You know, two weeks ago, we talked about um, this idea of going to Flatbush, right? Right, Flatbush? Um, Two weeks ago, we said we're going there in the fall. Fall 2017, we're going to be in Flatbush. Then we also announced, yeah, 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 yeah. Yes. Then we also announced that, you know, next Sunday we're going to be participating in this Flatbush Fest. So I really wanted to make sure that we all understood why we're doing things like this. Because many times we can just say, man, like we've been doing church a certain way and I've been falling into the same normal rhythms. You know, things seem to be shifting. Things seem to be changing. Why would we do this? So I really want you guys to explore and learn a definition for this word mission. And going to Flatbush is something that is very exciting for me. Obviously, it's exciting for me because I'm from Flatbush, but it also is going to give us an opportunity to be a neighborhood church, to be a church that dwells among the people and that has a significant local impact. And that's really dope. But as I started to think about that, I was asking myself, man, the church, Bridge Church, has a very clear definition on mission. But do our people individually understand the concept of mission? Do our people understand what it means to have consistent rhythms that allow them to share the love of Jesus with their neighbors? And then I had to ask myself, do I have those rhythms, right? What about mission and me? Mission and me. Well, first, let's get a working definition for the word mission. A South African missiologist, his name is David Bosch, he says that mission is much more than and different from just recruitment to our brand of religion. It is the alerting of people to the universal reign of God through Christ. That is mission. It is the alerting people to the universal reign of God through Christ. In other words, mission comes from God's reign. In that respect, the ideas of our mission and the idea of God's kingdom are linked. They're completely connected. Mission is both announcing and demonstrating that Jesus Christ is ruler over all. Now, traditionally, when I would hear the word mission, that word would terrify me. I would just remember all the fear and the anxiety that used to just wash over me anytime people would start talking about evangelism or being on mission. You know, maybe some of you, you grew up like I did, and you were in church as a baby all the way through adulthood, and people always asked you, just like, hey, you know, are, are you sharing your faith? Hey, I, you know, it's really good that you're reading your Bible and all that, but like, are you, are you telling people about Jesus? Hey, I'm, hey, it's awesome that you're in that small group getting with people, but you know, how are you doing with sharing your faith with other people? 
How many people are you talking to about Jesus? All of these questions would just loom over me anytime I was around church people. And the crazy thing is at the same time, I would see people posting on, well, at the time, MySpace, but I would see them, <laughs> I would see people like posting, people like Rasul, you know, they just like get with somebody in like a restaurant and like they just get a napkin and they draw out the gospel and the person across from them is in tears and they're just like begging Jesus to come into their lives and I was like, yo, I can't do that. that that's not me. And I would just feel this immense pressure and this immense guilt in my soul that I couldn't, I couldn't do that. All they were doing was sharing one or two Bible passages and boom, the other person was begging Jesus to come into their life. If that's what it takes to be somebody who shares their faith, then this is not for me. I'm just not cut out for it. And maybe you're here and you're just starting your journey with Jesus and you're starting to feel that same tension, like man, I gotta get in the conversion game, I gotta start putting up some numbers, you know? <laughs> It's not looking good for me. I don't have a good conversions per Sunday. (laughs) That tension to want to convert people all the time, because it comes from this place in your heart that that's what you believe gives you value. That's your Christian scorecard, right? The perceived formula is number of people who I've walked through converting to Christianity multiplied by the number of times I told people about Jesus equals how good of a Christian I am. And that was my formula too. And I started a lot of awkward conversations back then. Like I would walk into the cafeteria and they were like, yo, 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 Rich, man, you saw the game? And I'd be like, yeah, man, I saw the game. But you know it's not a game. <laughs> no, it's not a game. <laughs> was not a game. What's not a game is your life. <laughs> and if you die today, you know where you're gonna go, heaven or hell. Hell if you don't come to church with me on Sunday. And I thought I was killing the game. I thought that was what it means to be an evangelist. Threaten people. <laughs> that was evangelism to me. So as you can see, none of this came easy for me. I didn't know how everyone around me seemed to be approaching complete strangers and having them in a puddle of their own tears in seconds. I knew Jesus was awesome, but for some reason I couldn't get anybody else to see him in that way without being super awkward or just having super cold conversation. So to all those who are here, and maybe you don't subscribe to Christianity, maybe Jesus is not your thing. On behalf of all Christians, let this sermon serve as an apology. Sorry for trying to strong arm you into a relationship that should begin with love. Family, there is so much guilt and so much shame attached to this idea of mission. It's the elephant in the room that most people don't wanna talk about. Listen, we all bear the responsibility to share Jesus. We all bear that responsibility. But today I want to show you a way to do it that is much simpler and much more effective. I want you guys to open your Bibles or your Bible apps to 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 15 and 16. It's there on the screen if you need it. It says, always be prepared 
to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. Man, that is a scary verse. Always be prepared. Like I don't get a day off or can I call out sick from being prepared one day? Absolutely not. This one was a really tough verse for me, primarily because I interpreted it incorrectly. I thought that this verse meant that I had to go around correcting everyone. Anyone who was of a different belief system than me was definitely about to hear about the hope that I got, okay? And this whole gentleness and respect, that all depended on my mood at the time. But obviously, just from reading this verse, you can see I missed a huge chunk of that verse. The part that says, to everyone who asks you. To everyone who asks you. Here is the problem, Bridge Church. They're not asking us anymore. Most of us are not being questioned about the hope that we have because we don't live like we got a hope. If, if our lives said anything, it would probably say, get a spouse because my hope is in companionship. Or get money, my hope is in comfort. Or get another degree because my hope is in education. Or have children because my hope is in legacy. But these are messages that we are getting from the culture. None of these messages are gonna prompt questioning from anyone. None of these messages are as compelling as come to Jesus because my hope is in him. Your life doesn't shock anybody. No one is surprised by the way that we live anymore because it doesn't look different enough to even prompt the question. Now, we look at the book of Titus. Titus does a great job of illustrating what, it, what does it even look like for us to live a life that would prompt questioning. If we look at Titus chapter 2, it's a little long, verses 1 through 10, but bear with me. It starts, but as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men, be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Older women, likewise, be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good, and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, submissive to husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works, and in your teaching show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned, so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. Bond servants are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. They are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering or stealing, but showing all good faith, so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. What is Titus doing here? Titus, for us in 2017, he's actually giving us a history lesson. He's saying, everything that you just heard is exactly what the culture was not doing. Older men, 
Older men were not being worthy of respect and they were not self-controlled. At the time, older women were constantly slandering people and they were always drunk, right? (laughs) Younger women weren't loving to their husbands or their children. Young men had no self-control and they lacked integrity and servants were constantly talking back and stealing from their masters. So not much has changed. Essentially, Titus is trying to show us that a Christian life is countercultural. It causes you to act in a way that is outside the norm. And that, my friends, are, that's a life somebody's gonna question. That's a life that will prompt questioning. I want all of us to live a life that causes the people around us to wonder why we act this way. Now, last year, Around this time, summer last year, I was really wrestling with the idea of coming on full-time with the church. A lot of you were aware of that. And so I did. In September, I came on full-time with the bridge, and I quit my job. Now, for you guys, that was a celebration. But at my job, it was a much different story. That was one of the hardest conversations I ever had to have. I sit down with my boss, who thinks I'm here to ask for a raise. And instead, I'm telling him, yeah, man, um, yeah, I'm going to quit. And he's like, okay, you know, he's trying to maintain composure. He's like, yeah, that's cool, man. So, like, you know, where are you going to go? Like, what other job? I'm like, yeah, I'm going to be a pastor. And he's like, okay, cool, you know what I'm saying? You got to do what's right for your family. You got to, you know, pay your bills and stuff. I'm like, yeah, you know, it's not really about a money thing. And he was like, okay, cool, you know, would you mind how much, you know, you're going to get paid? And I was like, zero. And he was just like, oh, And then it became a counseling session. So then he was like, hey man, you know, I know you got a wife, I know you got a kid, man, I don't know if this is the right move. And in that moment, I felt the temptation to bend to the culture. God was trying to get me to see my life as bigger than just bringing home a paycheck and paying my bills. He was trying to get me to depend on him in a new way and my boss couldn't understand it. He couldn't understand why I would take something so comfortable. I had the most comfortable job. I could show up anytime I want, leave anytime I want. Why would I throw that away for what he saw as nothing? I threw it away to do volunteer work, as he called it. (laughs) And so it became a running joke. So as I'm leaving, and he's like, oh, people are finding out, and they're just like, his name's Mike, and he's like, yeah, man. I talked to Rich, he's leaving to go volunteer for Jesus. And it's just like, you know. But the day that I left, I'll never forget it, man. He came to me and he said, man, never in my life have I ever had an employee who could not be controlled by the paycheck. And it showed me that in that moment, Mike was questioning how, what my hope was. How did I have something that I wanted to do that I would throw away thousands of dollars to go do it? That's the kind of life that I want you guys to start living. I want to inspire believers to live questionable lives. Because here's the truth, y'all. If all of us were leading the kinds of lives that would evoke questions from our friends, then having opportunities to share your faith would be all over the place. And chances to proclaim the gospel would be on the increase Our job is to shock the world. It's to surprise the world. Your life speaks a sermon your words could never say. 
because they will see how you deal with suffering or why you spent your vacation serving the poor or why you opened up your home to missionaries or why you started working at that place just so you can exercise some social justice reform. Who would purposefully put themselves in a less comfortable position just to serve others they barely know? We would. We would because we follow Christ. I mean, think about it. Does it get any more uncomfortable than dying on the cross for people who didn't deserve it? When we live out a questionable life, we are emulating our Savior in how he came into this world to serve and not to be served. A life that is on mission prompts others to ask why. A life on mission is one that prompts others to ask why. So how can we cultivate such a life? How can we learn to live in a way that causes our friends to ask those questions? Well, we have to change our lifestyles. For example, if you wanna eat healthier, you can't just say, hey, I'm gonna make healthier eating choices without a plan. Or if you wanted to become a better singer, you wouldn't say, hey, I'm just gonna work on my voice. We need a plan and we need new rhythms. If mission is the goal, then habits are the keys. We need to develop habits that not only unite us together as believers, but it also pushes us out into the lives of other people. We need habitual practices that won't deplete our energy or burn us out, but rather it re-energizes us, replenishing our strength and connecting us to Jesus. That verse, 1 Peter 3.15, the call to be prepared, to give a gentle and respectful answer when someone asks you about the hope that you have in Jesus is a picture of simple daily obedience Simple daily obedience, living together in community, but going out into the world as an ambassador for Christ. Church, do you want to see the city transformed? Do you want to see the spiritually dead become spiritually alive? Rhythms. Rhythms lead to revival. Daily, weekly, consistent rhythms maintained over time brings revival. So what are some missional rhythms that we can develop to start to cultivate a questionable life? Michael Frost, he he wrote a book called Surprise the World, and I highly recommend this book, Five Habits of Highly Missional People. In the book, he describes five missional rhythms that every believer should adopt, right? And what this does is it helps us with an acronym he has called BELLS, B-E-L-L-S, BELLS. It stands for Bless, Eat, Listen, learn, scent. This is a great way for us to have a simple way of being on mission in our daily lives. So let's unpack bells. The first letter in bells is B, and B stands for bless. Bless, how can we grow in our generosity? Bless is actually translated from the Latin benedicere, and it means to praise but it also has another weird meaning. It means to add strength to someone else's arms. To add strength to someone else's arms. What does it mean to add strength to another person's arm? Well, anything that relieves their burden in life, anything that helps them breathe more easily, anything that helps somebody to feel more supported. 
is a blessing. Anything that lifts their spirit. And from my experience, blessing usually takes three forms. The first one is very easy. Bless through affirmation. This is the simplest way that you can bless somebody. Everybody in this room has a smartphone. You can open up the app, usually messages or texts, right? And you can send an encouraging text message to someone in your contact list. Or you can write an email. Send them some words of affirmation or some encouragement. Let them know that you noticed something cool about them or something that they're good at. You know, Mark Twain once said, I can live for two months on a good compliment. And that's so true. Think about any time where somebody has just said something dope about you and how that made you feel. I've heard it said that a word of encouragement is like oxygen to the soul. A word of affirmation helps our souls to breathe more easily. Uh, Gary Chapman, a lot of you have heard of him. He wrote the book, The Five Love Languages. He says words of affirmation are a verbal support to communicate love. It requires empathy from seeing the world from another person's perspective. We can give encouragement while communicating, I know, I care, and I'm with you. We are trying to show that we believe in the person and in their abilities. The second way that you can bless somebody is just an act of kindness. Who doesn't feel blessed when someone does them a favor? When somebody just offers to give you a ride home? or somebody offers to babysit your kids, or you gotta move, and they're like, hey man, I'm gonna be there for you. It helps you to feel supported and sometimes can literally be adding strength to your arms. And the third way you can bless somebody is with a gift. Who doesn't like to get presents? The recipient of a gift thrives on the love and I'm not talking about birthday gifts or Christmas gifts. I'm talking about the super random, out of nowhere gifts. Almost everything ever written on the subject of love indicates that at the heart of love is the spirit of giving. And a gift really speaks to the heart of that giving. So, missional habit number one. Bless at least two people per week, preferably one person from inside the church and one person from outside our church community. This simple habit has the effect of not only bringing us closer together as a church, but it also launches you into the lives of your neighbors. One thing to be weary of, we aren't blessing people in order to get into conversions, right? This is not the bait for the hook of Christianity, right? We are simply being generous and that is the end, period. We are just looking to bless someone. This is not a means of getting closer to them so that you can drop Jesus on them, right? We are simply growing in our, in our generosity. It is an end in itself. That's B. The second letter of bells is E, which stands for eat. Eat, grow in hospitality. The dinner table ought to be the primary symbol of the Christian gathering. It represents hospitality, inclusivity, generosity, and grace. While in many churches, the primary symbol of Christianity is the pulpit, right? The message being spoken. But here at the bridge, we unashamedly push people out to our city groups where people gather together and eat a meal together as they grow in love as a family. How many people here participate in city groups? That's right. The... 
The table is the great equalizer of relationships. When we eat together, it, we start to come into the humanity of everyone seated at the table. We get to share stories, we get to share hopes, fears, and many times disappointments. People start to open up to each other over a meal, including our faith in Jesus. Alan Hirsch, he has a book called Right Here, Right Now. He says, sharing meals together is one of the most sacred practices that we can engage in as believers. Missional hospitality is a tremendous opportunity to extend the kingdom of God. And he even goes on to say this, we can literally eat our way into the kingdom of God. And I say amen to that. <laughs> I've probably eaten my way to the kingdom and back. <laughs> uh, if everybody had regular invitations to people to come eat with them, we would literally change the world by eating. So missional habit number two, have two meals per week with someone you don't know that well, preferably one with someone inside the church and one person outside the church community, and if possible, host one of them at your house if possible, all right? Also, be open to be on the receiving end of that invitation, especially from people that are of a different belief system as you, all right? In Luke 19, we see Jesus having a meal at the home of the tax collector Zacchaeus, a man who made his money off of robbing and stealing other people's money. So Jesus sharing a meal with a sinful tax collector was not his condoning of his actions. As a matter of fact, in that, in that meal, we see Zacchaeus convert to following Jesus. Likewise, we should be prepared to eat with people who are non-believers as a habitual missional practice. Real simple, eat with people. Now the third letter of bells is L, and that stands for listen. Listen, grow in solitude. The two greatest opponents, and I'll tell you they are, and it started as soon as I went into Flatbush and I said, my goal is gonna be missional to this community, is I got hit with the two-piece the two piece combo of fear and laziness. Fear and, and laziness are the mission killers. Fear of persecution, fear of standing out, fear of causing offense, fear of having to answer somebody's really tough question. Fear will shut down missional engagement every single time. Likewise, with laziness, and I don't mean the kind of laziness that just has you lying on the couch. I'm talking about there's an inner voice, and many of you have heard it, that says, man, don't bother with reaching out to anybody. Don't bother offering yourself in service of other people. Laziness will tell you that you never have time and you're busier than you actually are. Laziness whispers to you, and it says, listen, you gotta take care of you. You gotta do you first. You have to put yourself before others. In fact, fear and laziness will actually motivate you to come up with billions of reasons why you can't or should not open yourself to other people. And the best way that I've found to beat fear and laziness is consistent, quiet time with God. Consistent, quiet time with God. Figuring out how to be an intriguing, blessing, sharing, eating community is not easy. 
and I'm gonna encourage you to bless others and eat with them, but it would be very irresponsible for me to not also encourage you to meditate on God's words. Bruce Demarest in his book, Satisfy the Soul, he says, a quieted heart is the best preparation for the work of God. Godly meditation refocuses us from ourselves and from the world, and it helps us to prayerfully chew on the words of scripture. The goal is simply to permit the Holy Spirit to activate the life-giving word of God inside of us. Now listen, I'm an introvert. Spending really uh, long periods of alone time, quiet, no distractions, that comes very easy to me. So for my extroverts, the thought of blessing others and eating with other people, that probably sounds great. But the intentional practice of solitude and silence, that's gonna be a big challenge for you. Not only are extroverts not about silence, but often like our evangelical culture has told us that if you're not doing things, then you're not being missional. How could there be a missional practice when I'm alone in my prayer closet? But my man Dietrich Bonhoeffer says this, let him who cannot be alone beware of community. He or she will only harm themselves and harm the community. In Mark chapter six, Jesus even tells the disciples, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. Biblically speaking, solitude is a valuable practice. Alone time with God can be a time of knowing God more deeply, a time of strengthening and a time of refreshment. You're simply being with the one who formed you and loves you beyond your understanding. So, missional habit number three. Designate one, just one 30-minute period per week to have uninterrupted silence and solitude. This is precious time alone between you and God. Now, this is not breathing techniques. This is not Eastern meditation, which is attempting to empty your mind. This is Philippians 4.8. Whatever is true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, worthy of praise, think on these things. I highly recommend you reading a passage of scripture before this time and entering your solitude just reflecting on what you've read and praying to God to help you to live those verses out. Okay, so that's missional habit number three. The fourth letter of bells is also an L and it stands for learn. Learn, grow in knowledge. In Matthew chapter 28, Jesus tells his disciples, listen, take the years that we had all spent together, everything that I had taught you, and now go out and go teach others what I taught you. This is our mission, to know Christ and to make him known. And in my time of ministry, I found that one of the major obstacles to people feeling confident in going out, confident in making Christ known, is that they don't know Christ. And I'm talking about Bible-believing Christians. People who believe in Jesus and live their lives according to scripture don't really know Jesus. In today's social climate, it is very easy to find people who strive to live like a Christian but don't know Jesus. They see Christ 
simply as a biological representation of commandments, not a loving, living God who is in pursuit of relationship with them. When we're living questionable lives, both the devotional and the missional purposes for studying the gospels, they intersect. And I think that if we're being sent into the world to live an intriguing life, to arouse curiosity among our friends, and to answer people's questions about the hope we have, then we need to know about who gives that hope. We need more than ever to know who Jesus is. And we can't know that without a deep, consistent, ongoing study of the biographies of Jesus written by those who knew him best in the Gospels. We need to learn Christ. My concern is that many Christians seem to have just a surface understanding of the Gospels. You know, it's funny, it's like we treat Jesus like, uh, like he's a washed up singer. Uh, we just, like Jesus has a greatest hits album. Birth, death, resurrection, a couple parables, a couple miracles, and that's it. That's how we know him. Listen, if we are saying we're gonna move to Flatbush in the fall, and we're emulating what Jesus did when he came to earth and dwelt among us, he put on flesh, lived and rubbed shoulders with the very same people he was trying to save, and we're looking to become a neighborhood church and live and rub shoulders with the same people we're looking to serve, how can we have a plan to emulate Jesus if we don't know who he is? How can we have a plan to emulate Jesus if we're not in a habit of learning about him? How can we truly dwell among the neighbors to whom God has sent us without fostering the habit of learning the gospels? So, missional habit number four. Spend 30 minutes per week reading the gospels, the first four books of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. This is in addition to, and not a replacement, for your normal daily devotion of scripture reading. We need to know Christ for ourselves in order to properly, properly communicate who he is. There's no reason to have any qualms about going out and sharing something that you don't know what you're sharing. So, that's missional habit number four. The final letter in bells is S. S stands for scent. Grow in reflection. Sent. If you are a Christian, you are a missionary. Congratulations. You are a sent one. Your life's work is to point people to Jesus. The same way a movie trailer, right? A movie trailer's job is trying to point you to going to see the movie, right? Next time you're in a movie theater and, you know, if you're early enough to catch the previews, which is very rare, but if you're there, Every single time a preview ends, just look around. Automatically, you'll start to see people's heads start to turn to the person next to them, and they're, they're basically saying whether they're gonna go see that movie or not, right? They're just like, oh, nah, that one's gonna suck. Oh, another Jaden Smith, oh, I'm not watching that. <laughs> right? So imagine this. What if Bridge Church had a movie trailer? Would the neighborhood want to come see the movie? Would they wonder what made us so loving? Would they want to hear more about the Jesus that we're always talking about? How can you maintain consistency daily, weekly in your goal of being a missional believer? 
How can your life maintain its ability to be a trailer that points to Jesus? As you go about blessing and eating and listening and learning, you will encounter God in a fascinating way. And I want you to get into the habit of recording those experiences. Missional habit number five is at the end of each week, what I want you to do is write down all the ways that you had been missional that week. Key conversations during mealtimes, descriptions of the blessings you shared that week, passages of scriptures that you meditated on, and new things you learned about the life of Jesus. Write it all down. This habit will help you look back at what you did in the previous week and start to process those experiences. You might not see that the food that you cooked or the call you placed is a way of being on mission. But as you start to record what it did to the other person, it will show you that this is a real tangible way to affect people's lives. It helps you to see everyday acts of creativity, diligence, servants, and kindness as a legitimate way to be on mission. I hope you can see that this is the case. There is a lie in our community, the community at large, that somebody who's involved with ministry, like me, full-time, is somehow more missional than those of us with full-time jobs. And I hope that you can see that that's a lie. Your ability to bless, eat, hang out with, engage with people at your job, that's a real way to do ministry. You at work, you have access to serve a population that I don't have available to me. Right? When I'm out in the streets at noon, they're at work with you. They want to hear from you, not me, because they don't know me. They're your friends. And it's hard for Christians to feel like, man, I'm accomplishing this idea of mission. Right? Especially if there's not a gospel presentation every time and you're drawing, yeah, this is how Jesus saved the world. And when you're not having those conversations, it might feel like, man, is this still time well spent? Or maybe you're not dropping a hundred scriptures during the conversation. You might feel like, man, all I did was hang out. How is this being on mission? It doesn't matter if you've been a Christian for five years or five minutes. If you have a phone, you have a way. You can text someone, you can call someone, you can encourage them, simple as that. If you have a stove, you have a way. You can have somebody over for dinner. You can live a life that causes those around you to start to question you about your hope. And if you still need help seeing how something like this acronym BELLS is a legitimate way to be on mission, then let me share a story with you. Back in the fourth century, there was this emperor, his name is Julian. And Julian feared that Christians might actually take over the Roman Empire. He wrote the following to his officials. He's talking to his top guys. He says, we gotta pay special attention and by this means effect a cure. For when it came about that the poor were neglected and overlooked by our priests, then I think the Christians saw this and devoted themselves to philanthropy. And they have gained ascendancy in the worst of their deeds through the credit they win for such practices. For just as those who entice children with cake and by throwing it to them two or three times, induce them to follow, and then when they're far away, cast them aboard a ship and sell them as slaves, 
By the same method, I say these Christians also begin with their so-called love feast or hospitality or service of tables. For they have many ways of carrying it out and hence call it by many names. And the result is they have led very many into Christianity. And so what he's saying here is this like, look, these guys are evil. They're just like kidnappers, right? With their loving on people and they're making us look bad because we got poor people and the poor people think we don't care about them, but these Christians care about them and they're threatening my empire. So in response, so Julian's not having any of this. He's like, look, I'm gonna write another letter to my officials. I'm gonna say, listen, why don't we just observe that it's their benevolence, it's their kindness to strangers that is causing them to have all these people convert to Christianity? I believe that we really and truly need to just practice all of their virtues. So what he's saying is like, look, we're threatened by them, but all they're doing is just being nice, sharing food, it's nothing, we could do that. Let's just do what they do. For it is disgraceful that when the impious Christians support not only their own poor, but ours as well, all men see that our people lack aid from us. They're making us look terrible. And so here's the end of the story. So he sends out that letter to his people. He's like, look, we're just gonna copy what they do so that we can stop losing people to this Christianity. And at the end of the day, the Romans completely failed. He could not motivate Roman officials to care about poor people. He failed to realize that the Christians were filled with the Holy Spirit. The message they shared that God loved the world was an absurd message to the Romans at the time. And yet in the miserable world of the Roman Empire, the Christians not only proclaimed the mercy of God, but also demonstrated it. They showed it to people. They not only fed the poor, they welcomed everyone. They, regardless of your status or your ethnicity or your gender, what family you came from, all were welcome to the table. They were literally the most surprising alternative society and their conduct raised a curiosity among the Roman people. All they did was live a questionable life. And in turn, they pointed so many people to Jesus that the emperor saw them as the number one threat to his rule. Bridge Church, I urge you, let us be a people that shock the world. Let's surprise the world with how we live. Let's live a life worth questioning. Let our friends start to look in and say, why, why do you act this way? How do you have so much peace? Why do you give so much away? And let's begin to commit to these five missional habits. Bless, eat, listen, learn, scent. Let's pray. Lord, you are an awesome God. You make all things new. God, you bring revival. You take dead people and you make them alive. God, help us to live lives that look like we're alive. God, help us to live questionable lives, lives that shock the world and cause the people around us to ask us why, so that we can respond, it's because of you. It is because of you, Jesus, that we live this way. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.
We hope you've been encouraged by this message. We'd love to hear how God used this sermon to speak to you. Please take a minute to email us your story. Our email address is info at bridgechurchnyc.com. And you can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram by using at bridgechurchnyc or visit our website, bridgechurchnyc.com. Thanks again for listening to this week's message.